Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Spin Cycle podcast. Uh, it's the podcast talking to the personalities, the groups, and the brands that make London an incredible place to be a cyclist. Today, we've got a good friend of ours, um, somebody that's doing a lot for um, diversity in cycling, and somebody that's also kind of a long-time person in the cycling industry. Uh, welcome to the podcast, uh, Miles Baker-Clark. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me. Welcome, everyone at home. Pleasure to have you. So, as we've done before, we'll typically break the podcast into three sections. So, who you are as a cyclist, how do you get into it? And section two will be um, primarily talking about Miles' new project, uh, Cycling Culture Club. And the third part, we'll have a little bit of your Q&A, get under the skin a bit. And uh, as usual, put forward our agenda of uh, white bib shorts. So, um, <laughs> to start on section one, Miles... Why don't you tell us about, you know, who you are and maybe your journey into how you got into cycling? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's quite sort of traditional, I suppose. Um, I rode a bike as a kid, get around, um, come from a fairly um, poor background. Mum and dad split up when I was young. Mum didn't have a lot, worked lots of jobs, so couldn't drive me places. So I needed my own way to get around. So my first sort of rendezvous with the bike was really early mm. and I sort of kept on that as a tool for, for years until I went to uni, really. Um, it was very much a tool. It was a, a vehicle for me yeah. as a kid. Um, kept me out of trouble, kept me fit, um, did everything you want as a kid. At uni, I ended up rooming with a guy who was super into road cycling. Uh, and at this point it was completely alien, never really, not even really considered it as a sport, had no uh, understanding of cycling culture, no understanding of what a road bike even really was. Mm. But my personality is very much sort of find out and discover. And I've always been like that. I'm still like it. And for me, that was a really good opportunity because I was like, you know what? I'm going to learn everything there is to know about this. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go in deep and I'm going to understand it because it makes sense to me. So that was sort of my first foray into road cycling. I built my first bike, um, specialized LA actually, oh, yeah. um, two, two or 300 quid for a frame at that, at that point, And then slung a load of bits on it and just sort of built it from there. So I didn't do the sort of traditional bike shot route. I really wanted to like, as I say, like understand what it was I was doing and, yeah. And build something that was mine and something that was unique and mm. why that mattered at the time I don't know. And funny enough, it's the same thing I've done with every single bike I've I've ever owned because I just like that journey. Yeah. Um so anyway, I, I, from there I, I joined a local club. So by this point I'm actually out of London. So plot twist, I'm actually not a Londoner anymore. Um oh. I grew up in uh, Crystal Palace, but I've not been there for twelve years now. Oh, wow. I live at the other end of the West Wickham corridor. So, you know, all, all you Londoners go out through West Wickham and and from Crystal Palace down Ellen Hill. Oh, uh, I know where you are. Through West Wickham out to Kent. Oh. And I'm in Tunbridge Wells, in which is like oh, nice. halfway between London and Hastings. Mm. So anyway, I, I digress. But yeah, I joined a cycle club, local one, really good group of guys and girls. Um and very welcoming, very nurturing, helped me develop my cycling career. And I've been part of that club for 10 plus years now. Um, but there's one thing, one thing that I noticed from the moment I joined and that I still notice today. And that's that I'm still, still the only person of color mm. in the club. 300, maybe 350 members, including youth riders. Yep. I'm the only person who isn't white in that whole club. Um, that's mad. Which is completely nuts, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you guys are from London. You guys are living in London every day, right? So your experience of cycling mm. is not perfect, but much better than my experience of cycling locally. So for me, that's still my connection to London. You know, I love coming back and being mm. like, oh, hey, there's this really vibrant and much more diverse community in London. Um, and I love that, like being able to dial into it, dip in and out of it, Um you know, amass a group of friends who I really value and, you know, you guys and your, your friends and their friends and you just find yeah. this massive community and you, you you pick up rocks and you find new great people all the time. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that's super inspiring and and it's the one thing I miss about London 
probably the only thing I miss about London, which is social cycling. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, yeah, <laughs> be an- it's just one of the best things. Like you guys, mate. Uh, so we sorry, mate. So we moved from Wimbledon to Ripley, you know, next to um, next to Cobham, um, where everyone kind of cycles through uh, through, and that's also the one thing I really miss uh, is the you know. I didn't really used to cycle in Regents all that often, but I did used to speak, obviously Richmond was like 10 minutes away. And that was the part I really missed. Just the the slight convenience of, okay, well, I've got to get up at six for seven o'clock laps. That's okay because I'm in town. I'll pick up someone on the way. I'll get a little coffee. I'll be back on the desk. I can kind of start working about 9.30. That's, that's genuinely what I really miss too. Makes a big difference. It's those little routines that you you forget quite how integral to your personality they are. Mm. Um, and it's, yeah, it's something I really miss, but also value when I come back and I get to, as I say, like dip in and dip out. Um, because the cycling around here is fantastic. Like I can be out in the lanes in five minutes mm. and be out over the Ashdown forest in half an hour. So it's just, you know, it's just a no brainer for a cyclist, but equally, that social element is so important. So basically I'd consider myself a bit of a honorary Londoner now. Um, yeah. People know me. I will be around the, you know, the places where people are hanging out and at events. And uh, I love that sort of whistle stop world. Um, but yeah, I do miss having a bike in London and be able to do the simple things, you know, laps and coffees are simple. And when you do it every day, probably taken for granted but that social element is just so powerful yeah i'm sure i'm gonna run into that very soon when i uh, move, move to hertfordshire oh hertfordshire nice so yeah so you'll be on a similar sort of journey right like you have to i think you've got to be slightly more um purposeful you've got to make your decisions it's, it's less fleeting right because you're not you're not sort of this ambient person through mm. London every day. It's probably like yeah. every now and again, or even if it's for work, it's, you're going in for work. So you have to make a more concerted decision to be social. Um, yeah. So that's the sort of thing that I've got to sort of dial in. Like I have to make time for that. I have to, you know, I have to deliberately go over from my office yep. to, to Ria or to wherever to go and hang out or to an attender an event or whatever. And that, that's quite nice because you're, you're doing things with, with meaning and, yeah. and you, I think you, well, I personally feel more connected because of that, because I have to make a conscious decision to actually go from A to B and, and make plans with people yeah. or, you know, rock up and hope for the best. And that's got a charm to it, I think. Yeah, and it makes it a bit more special as well. Because I guess because we live in London, you kind of you take do. it for granted of like seeing everyone and just being like, like texting about, oh, so you want to do Regents tomorrow? And sometimes you're just like, nah, I can't be bothered. But then come when you move out, it'll be like, oh, you'll be gagging for, for those inner circle laps, the chat laps, the coffee stops, uh, even like, I guess, a food quality wise, like restaurants and coffee shops there and bakeries and stuff like that. You kind of, forget outside of the London bubble how different it is. Completely. But you won't you won't lose that, you know. You'll still have your favourite spots and you just have to be more deliberate with it, make a journey of it. <laughs> um I mean Miles, people also may not know, so I know this because I know you, but you're also the head of strategy at Fusion Media, which is a pretty pretty cool gig, all things considered. Um from my understanding, it's a specific sports and cycling um, you know, media company. Maybe, you know, there's a lot of people that listen to this that started cycling in the pandemic. Uh, it'd be cool to get your perspective on how you think maybe things have changed, you know, since maybe you joined since the pandemic and, and maybe how that looks, right? Because people hear a lot about the cycling industry recently. I'd be keen to get your kind of perspective on, on where you see that now. Yeah, so it's been um, it's been fascinating, you know, last couple of years, and since the pandemic and during the pandemic, you know, everyone knows cycling boomed during the pandemic for all the reasons we know. What's been interesting to view from my perspective, and from professional perspective, mm. is that 
the people that join cycling are usually from two batches. Either they're a cyclist out of necessity um, and that was quite a fleeting connection to cycling, which is fine because during the pandemic it was great and there was a massive boom and there was loads of people riding bikes and, you know, for us as an agency, that's exactly what we want. Mm. Um, or there was the other people who actually found their connection to cycling because of circumstance, but stayed because of what it brought them. So I can't speak for everybody, but I don't know for the few people that I know who have picked up cycling during the pandemic and stuck with it. You know, there's plenty of people within the London scene who have only been riding since the pandemic. Um, what they found is a bigger community, more accessibility to to everybody because the barrier to entry was was lower for a time. Yep. Um, you know, there wasn't the safety issues on the roads and that sort of thing. Um, and I think because of that, the cycling community has massively diversified. Oh yeah, particularly in London. Um, and if you looked at a cross section of it we do a lot of research and, and study and data at Fusion and um, to understand those demographics for our brands. But what we've discovered is that, you know, while it's not sort of chalk and cheese, there's definitely been some progress in that way. Um, I think it's also on a wider sort of semi-political direction. It, it's opened up the powers that bees eyes to the potential of cycling. Yeah. Now we're still a long way away. Like we still have a lot to yeah. do, but I feel like because of that potential being right in front of everybody's faces, they suddenly realise, you know what, this actually solves quite a lot of society's problems, and that's been good to see. As I say, it's only very much the beginning of the journey. Um, but as an agency, you know, we, we're very much sort of rooted in marketing and outdoor sports, so we do a lot of cycling brands, a lot of run brands, um, a few outdoor brands as well. Yeah. Um, but one of our big sort of core passions as a group, as an agency, is is actually getting more people moving. So how do you actually encourage more of society to take up active travel, yeah. take up active sport? Um, and how can we facilitate that? And, you know, I, I know you will have covered this and I know it's common knowledge, but accessibility to sport is one of the big things that we can do as a community to, to help grow it organically. Yeah. And that's good for everyone. That's good for your podcast guests because your guests live yeah. longer. Um, the brands we work with, they sell more bikes um, and the planet generally benefits from more people being on bikes rather than their cars. So it's really a, a full circle endeavor. Um, how we exactly solve that, I don't know. I think so much of it is sort of reliant on infrastructure yeah. and safety being one of the core stated barriers to cycling um, that we see time and time again, particularly in women. Mm. Um, so that's something that we'll have to get over and it's going to take years for that infrastructure to be in the position where everybody in the, in the capital can actually feel like they can move about freely. Um, but I think it's getting there. And, uh, and I think, yeah, I've been with Fusion two years and I think in that time, the industry has changed massively. Mm. You know, as I say, it's it's diversified at its grassroots, which is ultimately a massive passion of mine and something I'm super happy to see. But it's also sort of trying to find its way out of this whole spiral that it's built itself yeah. because ultimately, you know, to be quite frank, brands got greedy in the pandemic seeing this opportunity yeah. and now a lot of them are paying for it. Yeah. So yeah. that is something that, I mean, it, it will pass. These things pass. This is not the first time, nor will it be the last. But that cyclical nature of things in the cycling industry, it just feels like we never really learn. And I can say <laughs> we because I'm sure some way are the problem. But um, for the, at the moment, like right now, this moment, like 5th of December, it's a good time to buy a bike because you can get a cheap deal. And hopefully, I'm, I'm confident and hopeful that that helps facilitate more people coming into the sport because bikes are the cheapest they've been since before the pandemic Yeah. now. So there's a whole sort of, you know, pandemic inflation on cycling over the last sort of year, year and a half, you know, that is being reversed probably temporarily. But, you know, right now you can buy a bike at pre-pandemic prices, which is happy days, really. Sorry, it was a bit of a ramble, wasn't it? But there we go. <laughs> 
And with that in mind, maybe we head to uh, section two. Welcome back, everyone. So, Miles, uh, how did the Cycling Culture Club start? I'm trying to think of its like first moments when it sort of crossed my mind. Annoyingly, I think I was on a call. I spent a lot of my day on calls. And I think yeah. I was chatting to somebody at the Bicycle Association. Mm. If you don't know, the Bicycle Association is an organization within cycling that looks after cycling retailers and manufacturers. Okay. Um, and they have what they call a diversity board. Yeah. Um, and I'd looked into it and, you know, I'm not here to throw shade on Bicycle Association. That's not what this is about. But I just felt like it It wasn't quite ticking the boxes that I felt as a person of colour needed yeah. to be addressed. And so I reached out and I and I asked them some questions and I'm just sort of trying to understand their roadmap and figure out if I felt like, if I felt inspired after that call or not. Mm. And I didn't. Um <laughs> So I, I sort of sat down and I thought, you know, what what is it that I would want as a cyclist coming into this sport, um, as a person of colour? What, what's the sort of environment that I'd like to see? Um, and I just started mapping it out. So I, I didn't really, I didn't come up with a 12-year plan. I just sort of took it step by step. Um, started thinking about sort of the resources that I would have liked to have seen when I joined cycling and didn't have. Yeah. And you know, cycling as a as an industry and as a sport wasn't as diverse as it is today. Yeah. When I started cycling 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. So I really started there. And then I had a couple of good conversations with close friends, you know, people that you know, people like Donna, mm-hmm. um, who I just needed some honest and raw feedback. And um, I spoke to people all over the world um, because I thought, I could make this really UK centric or I could say, set the foundation so that it could work outside the UK as well, because our problems here in the UK are not exclusive to us. Yep. So anyway, I was getting the vague sort of musings that it was a decent idea. And at this point I still didn't really know what it was going to be, but I knew I wanted to do is bring together people, you know, people was the focus. It was giving people a home and a, a voice and a community. And I feel like in cycling, particularly at the moment, there's a lot of really good organizations doing lots of really cool things and stuff. And, and they're all smashing it, but they're all doing it separately. And they're little silos yeah. with their little groups and their little communities. And I'm, I'm saying little and it sounds derogatory, but I don't mean little I mean. In, in scale. I just mean like over this, yeah, over the scheme of things, like, if we could join this together and start to bring a collective voice, then actually you've started yeah. something really powerful. Yeah. Because I think one of the early conversations I had was, um, I can't remember who it was with, but I had quite a challenge. Someone challenged me and was like, you know, are you trying to take the credit for the work that these people are doing? And I was like, no, <laughs> got no interest in the credit. All I want is for more people to find these amazing initiatives, um, for more people to find a space where they can feel at home. Um, And that's sort of where it was born. So you would have seen if you've been following along, but it's been hand to mouth. I've been having conversations and adding people, having conversations and adding people. But ultimately where we're at now broadly is like 25 contributors. And what that means is really exactly what it sounds like. So I really want these people to contribute to this central community. So that can be anything from written content. It could be, you know, prose. It could be poetry. I don't really care what it is. Like, it's just about having that voice visible for others to see. Mm. Because the one big problem, and I suppose my background fed into this, the one big problem is that the cycling media landscape, so the journalists and the people who run the magazines, write for the magazines, are also overwhelmingly white and overwhelmingly male. Yeah. So, um, and so that is in itself a problem. So when you're looking into the industry from the outside, you, you immediately don't see anyone that looks like you. Brands are slowly cottoning on to the ability of you know diversifying their image and and their 
their external content and some of them are making good strides you know people like Rafa I'd say they're sort of leading the way in that space and people like Jess Morgan who's a contributor has been absolutely pivotal for that so shout out yeah, Jess, shout out Jess. Um, shout out Jess um, but what that really led me to believe is you know if if each of these if, if I could harness the energy and the passion and the power of just a few of these individuals mm. and bring them together in a way that you could then expand that beyond the UK and, and into other territories then why couldn't this be a space that serves everybody that can continue to grow exponentially and as i said to you guys at the beginning like hopefully at some day it grows beyond me and is self-serving and at this stage i've got no idea whether it's a, a charity an ngo or a, a commercial entity at this point it doesn't really matter what it is is beginning to get people thinking mm. um yeah. and that's why i call it a collective rather than a club because i feel like a club is local you know, the power of a club is is connection physically. You know, you can be in a club together. And I think there are scenarios where that doesn't count. But, you know, you take that international cycling club thing and I, I sort of get it, but it doesn't it doesn't ring true for me because I feel like a club is, you know, club clubhouse is that sort of, that, that is where my mind goes and maybe that's wrong. But yeah. um, for me, a collective feels borderless. And that's what I really wanted this to be. For this to be a, a space where anybody could feel represented, it had to be borderless. So, you know, yeah. I spoke to my mate Alvin, um, who's based out in LA. He's, you know, um, of Mexican heritage. I spoke to people all over the planet, Thailand, um, Africa, um, Jamaica, you know, all over. Um, and what I figured out is, you know, all these people can be vessels to this story. Yeah. Um, cycling culture would be the pub, would be the home for all these stories. Um, and then anyone who's coming into cycling can use it as a tool. So initially, it's just content and it can be anything. As I said, it could be, we could talk about fashion, we could talk about politics, we could talk about community, we could comment on the state of the world if you want, or none of that. As long as it's sort of loosely cycling related, I'm, I'm I'm quite easy um the process of the stage i'm at now is those contributors that i've already got on board you know the feedback has been insane you know never expect it to be anywhere near as positive you know can we were talking about this idea boiling around yeah. in your mind and becoming something that is real in the world you know i had people coming up to me and being like i'm absolutely loving what you're doing and I, you know Amazing. i was humbled i was surprised i was humbled like i'm just <laughs> I'm just trying to make a, a little bit of difference, and uh, you know, I'm not putting a, I'm not putting a name on it or anything yet. Um, <laughs> trying to keep it humble, um, but people were just loving it because I think part of the reasons I knew it was a good idea is that there isn't anything like it. Um, there's, as I say, there's lots of access to communities individually in a local scenario, but nothing to bring that all together. So, I think that's what I'm hoping to achieve with it. Yeah. Um, in terms of the long-term goal, in terms of how we grow it, in terms of what the next stages are for it, I think really it's about understanding what what's feasible from a, a personal investment point of view, to be honest. Yeah. Like there's a there's limited um, financial need at this stage, but there's a big time investment, um, which I'm giving as much of it, much of my time as I can, but I, you know, work full time, got, you know, yeah. got a wife, got life outside of cycling, etc. So, I, that's really my only limitation at the moment. But I think where I'd like to get to is I'd like those 25 contributors to help me each find another five contributors. Yeah. Um, because, and this is actually quite important. Um, and I've been asked a few times and it's been quite difficult to articulate without offending somebody, but <laughs> I've had a question asked to me, who is Cycling Culture Club for? And I've typically said the answer, primarily it's for people from underrepresented groups, because those are the people who are currently feeling underrepresented. Yeah. The flip side of that is... For it to be an inclusive space, it can't be exclusive to people from underrepresented groups. So what I'm broadly, what I've got in my mind, I've not publicised it anywhere, it's not written on the website, but broadly, I want to 
ensure that the representation among the contributors is is really varied mm. um yeah and is primarily focused on those underrepresented groups because that was you know that's the area that i've really struggled with personally so that's where i can give back to that's where my experience and my expertise can come from um but then equally if there's people who want to be part of the collective and and help produce content and help spread the word then absolutely like happy days so at the moment there's a you know if you go on um the website which is just cyclingcultureclub.cc the first 25 contributors there's a few more than that now nice. um are every different shade you can possibly imagine from yeah. every different walk of life they're from you know different countries different ages different sexualities different races um and a few weeks ago, I did a post that highlighted all of those guys and girls. And I was like, ah, shit, yeah. There's something magical in nice. that, that mix of people. So I think if this is the end of phase one, mm-hmm. then I would count that as phase one complete. Um, for phase two, it's really just making it bigger. So bringing in more contributors. I really want to like diversify the countries as well. So like get more and more people from across the world to contribute. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then I suppose lastly in phase two is um, increasing where the voices happen. So some folks completely happy to do some writing, you know, I've already got some articles coming in and I'll get them up when I, as and when time allows, but podcasting is where most people have shown their interest because I think, yeah, more often than not, the people that are involved in Cycling Clubs Club already, they're all people, you know, people, people. Mm. They uh, they yeah. love, you know, they love this, this interaction. Yeah, you know, it's it's part of why cycling is an amazing community because we've got, we can bounce, you know, ideas off each other. We're a sh- we've got shared passion, we've got sh- shared vibe. Yep. Um, so I think that's the next step um, is to, to launch our podcast. Um and I've got a, a long list of guests and a long list of topics, but the ones that I get to will be the ones that feel most right at the moment, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, I guess when you're talking about, I guess, inclusivity and then around people, who are, I guess, from minority backgrounds, um, I guess people who, are, who aren't from that, uh, I guess allyship is quite an important thing. So where do you see, like, I guess, allyship? coming into that, I guess, the Cycling Culture Club? It's a fucking great question. It's a really good question. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's really good. And I, I, I don't know, it just hit a point there because and I'm going to tangent slightly, so sorry. But there's a there's a group in the outdoors um, called Opening Up the Outdoors. Okay. And they've been they're more established in Cycling Culture Club probably a couple of years in. They work with the likes of Patagonia and North Face and Finisterre and some other big names. Mm. You know, they've really managed to like capture that brand power and voice because the brands all want to help. But ultimately, they're trying to get more representation in the outdoors. So sure. not dissimilar to what I'm trying to do. And a big part of their message is is allyship. You know, how do we get people to support this? And I think that's where I'm still learning for sure. Like how do I bring people in, uh, in a way that is constructive? Um, also how do I, I think the bit I struggle with most is I'm not an expert in this. Mm. I'm not a diversity coach. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not even the blackest person in the room. Right. (laughs) So how, how do I, how do I get, I can't claim this hill for my own. Um, I want to invite people in who can help enrich my knowledge and ultimately enrich the club. So I suppose allyship for me is people that want to come in and support this, then by all means, um, you're absolutely welcome. But the, I'm not, I can't formalize what cycling culture club will do for, you know, outside parties, because as I say, I'm not an expert. I don't claim to be, doing this all off off the back of passion um, and self-interest really because as a person of colour I've struggled with it. Of course. So um, I think it's a nuanced answer, right, NJ? But I think it's something that will come over time. Uh, You know, I'd love to get to the point where open up the outdoors is when they can bring in 
high profile brand support and and make a you know amplify that voice in such a bigger way you got a shout out to them actually mm. shout out to open out the outdoors oh nice yeah they do a really good job and they've got a really good website check them out shout out open up the outdoors um miles yeah. maybe you know jumping even further ahead i know you said you're close to stage two but maybe we spoke about it offline when you said that you don't know what the future holds but if we jump really far ahead, I don't know, you say five years, what would, you know, what would the landmarks or to borrow a phrase from my corporate background, what would good look like? And what would you, you know, see as a win? <laughs> you said you weren't going to say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, what would good look like? <laughs> so I think there's two things. I think firstly, I would love to allow Cycling Culture Club to go to a point where it can it can service all of these communities. So, you know, Chain Gang Cyclists, great example, um, doing really great things in community. Um, and forgive me, I don't know exactly the area that, that you guys ride in and what the club serves but ultimately you've got a little pocket of community in there of a hundred plus members or whatever it is there are two three dozen other communities dissimilar similar across london across the uk Mm. and beyond so if and the one thing that doesn't exist now is a place to find them all so if i am a muslim woman moving to London or moving to the UK or moving to LA, Mm -hmm. how do I find people like me to ride with? And I think that's where there's a real opportunity because I'd love people to like, they come on the cycling culture club, they they type in where they are and what, and they get a a list of options of people doing good shit in their area. Yeah. You know, that, yeah, that, that would be an amazing thing for me because I feel like it's the one thing I lacked when I joined cycling. I had no idea where I'd find other people that look like me. And if I hadn't been more persistent, I probably would have been spat right back out of cycling again because, yeah. you know, I came in, saw a lack of representation in any of the media, none in the pro peloton, you know, very little in the community at the time, certainly nothing in like uh, traditional, like advertising. So, you know, you would have forgiven me for thinking what's here for me. Um, whatever reason I persisted. But if I can stop one person from having that journey, so coming into cycling and being spat out again, I count that as a win. How I do that, I don't exactly know. But I think, as I say, if I can help champion all the good work that's happening in all of these community groups by these amazing people who are largely doing it off their own back and, you know, for no money and, you know, off the back of passion again, um, then that would be incredible because, at the moment, as I said, probably offline, but everyone's doing these great things and creating this great noise in their own silos. But what about if, what about if all those people got together as a collective voice? Mm. Um, there's so much power, there's so much knowledge, there's so much interest and intrigue and and hell. Like from a from a commercial perspective, there's a huge untapped market for for brands and the industry to to look at and. It's a it's a, a it's a loop that needs closing because for people to feel represented, they need to feel like there's a place for them, and for them to feel like yeah. there's a place for them, they need to feel represented. So, and and until that happens, there's a whole section of the market not being catered for. So, if Cycling Culture Club could play some small part in that, then I'd I'd be very very happy. Um, and if I was to boil it down to that one one objective you know as i say if i can stop one person from from finding the joy of cycling and leaving it again because of that then yeah that's that's job done i think yeah that's really really good i kind of like the i guess the idea of having like i guess a, a directory yeah of clubs that kind of i guess suit your needs it's quite good um as you you've brought it up quite a lot of times about how you're you were i guess the ethnic minority within like uh cycling clubs for anyone i guess who is listening and is i guess 
sort of part of that or they live in an area where they are an ethnic minority and the only clubs are sort of I guess predominantly white in its uh, makeup how would you advise them to like I guess getting to those clubs and I guess navigate those spaces so I think the first thing to do is remember that we're all cyclists here we're all riders we're all ride bikes Um, and because of that we can all find commonality with each other and I think that's part of what helped me um you know I, I tried to shut out the idea that I was this ethnic minority and and you know people can get into a spiral of thinking that it's this you know this thing and and it's a problem but the reality is you know we all ride bikes the same amount of what we look like right oh, yeah um so I think that's the first thing I would do in the short term it's just like find common ground with the thing with the people around you like there's no need to there's no need to feel uh, ostracized because you look a certain way and that's easy to say because sometimes it's more complex than that obviously but I think broadly speaking um, by joining that club and by joining that group that's predominantly white you're changing that skew one percentage point at a time Um, and each and every one of those clubs probably needs a person like you out there somewhere listening on the sound waves um to help change that skew and and maybe make a difference for that club you know i champ i champion diversity in in my area and Mm. unfortunately my area is mostly white anyway but you know i'm that person within the club so even if that does some small thing you know making sure that more women are showcased on the club website or whatever, you know, that wouldn't have happened if someone didn't champion that inside the club. Yeah. So my, yeah, my advice would be just, yeah, try and change it one little step at a time. And then in the sort of more short to medium term, I mean, get in touch with me. I'd love to chat. I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to hear your struggles. Um, I uh, not don't mean this in an arrogant way, but, I know a lot of people and I'm well connected and I hope that I could point you in direction as someone who could help take your cycling journey to the next stage and maybe find more people like you. And in the, in the absence of a glossy website that does that for me, um, I'd love to think that, you know, I could tap into the community and be like, Oh, Cam or, or NJ, can, do, you, do you know anyone in this area who, who rides what sort of speed? Can you help this person out? Mm. And, I, and I know, for the love of the cycling community that people will help. And that's what I love about it. Uh, So Miles, maybe how do people join uh, cycling culture club? How does, how does that kind of process look or how is it going to look in the future? Um, There's no set process really, but I I just advise you to get in touch and we'll have a chat and figure out, you know, ultimately why you're getting in touch mm-hmm. um generally everyone has a reason whether they know it or whether it's something subconscious that they haven't really addressed but it tends to be people that have reached out you know they're feeling some of these struggles as well so um yeah there's there's no sort of stringent you know tick box exercise it's more about like understanding the, the individual and what they want to get out of it and or what they want to give to it or a combination of the both um, but at the moment, I just advise you just to reach out um, either on Instagram or you can reach me directly. Um, I'm sure the guys will link link yeah, me down in the, show, in the notes, show notes. But the let's just have a chat. Let's grab a coffee. Let's let's talk about it. Like this this whole thing came about by chatting, and I plan to continue growing it that way too. Um, and I, yeah, as I say, we welcome everybody. Um, we want to make sure it's an inclusive place for everybody. Um, and I want the stories to be as diverse as possible. So the only way I do that is by widening the contributor pool. And yeah, hopefully, you know, by uh, by the new year, maybe we can get to 50. Awesome. Who knows? Awesome. All right. Well, look, why don't we get to know you a little bit better and your views on white bib shorts in section three? Ah, the important stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Three. Uh, welcome back, everybody, to uh, the final and third section of the Q&A with Miles. Uh, so, Miles, I know you mentioned that you are no longer a London native, but I know that means that you, you know, 
you're not afraid to come back in and do the the only two places that anybody cycles in London. Uh, so, you know, perhaps what's more pro? That's the genuine question. What's more pro? Is it a Richmond or is it Regents for you? I mean, I suppose it depends on your definition of pro, but maybe that's Ooh. a conversation for a longer podcast. <laughs> um, that's going to need diving into uh, over a coffee, I think. Um, I'd say I'd say Regents is more pro on the very sort of top level discussion on what pro is, only because I think when you get a really good group around Regents, you know, there's something quite magical in that, and. I, I don't know about what you guys think being there, you know, a bit more often than me, but I find Londoners are really good group riders. I think there's yeah. A, like yeah. a good awareness. Like people just know how to ride and ride safely and ride quickly. And, you know, I suppose this is a lifetime dodging traffic and buses and shit. Pedestrians. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Scooters. But it just means that, that that racecraft around Regents is is really like something to behold. And I always feel a little bit out of my depth because I'm like, oh, I'm a country boy in the country. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'd say I'm going with Regents. I think the reason maybe people are good group riders in London, I don't know if NJ, I think I was having a conversation with somebody else, is that because the cycling infrastructure for people commuting is actually quite poor. So you know, if you're cycling in the city and you are at a set of lights. There are 50 other cyclists there and everyone is going hell for leather to beat the next light or get there as quick as possible. So by the very nature of it being it yeah, poor cycling infrastructure, then that means that people are used to being quite close to each other, bit of jostling, and then you have to keep the pace going. Otherwise, someone's going to half wheel, you'll overlap wheels on a Boris bike and you're going to stack it. I'd say if you go down that Farringdon Road, it's more scary on that cycle lane than like doing what forty five k around Regents oh. in like a big big fifty person group. Like Farringdon is like you you. I'm surprised that you don't see people getting chopped every morning. Like it is it is intense. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a segment in that. I think guys, I think there's like uh, choppers and pros of the uh, commuter peloton, like. <laughs> If you could like do a little like video docu series over like my journey to work through Farringdon, you know, I can imagine that being pretty awesome. <laughs> well, but we're going down like any of the cycle highways. Ma- maybe NJ can tell the story of when he was full on commuting and got and got and got. Cho- well, did NJ didn't you get chopped by a guy commuting on an S works last week? <laughs> oh, uh, oh no, this was up in um, Finsbury Park. Uh, like, um, so when I was coming back, uh, there was a, a personal line back someone in there like civvies but on like you, you see like the 80 mil like dt swiss wheels so i was like and a blue frame and i was like this clearly like a at least a five grand bike this one in front of me and then there was me behind him and then we all like set off and he's gone to go around the line bike but then the line bike's like oh, i actually want to turn right and has gone into sort of him he snapped on his brakes and then because i'm behind him i had to slam on my brakes and i ended up like landing on my knee and had a bit of a graze for two weeks but it was just a, it's not what you want in the morning at like half eight. Why is he riding his S Works like TT setup to work? Yeah, but he was like in jeans. It was just like <laughs> made no sense. Like, surely you have like a bad bike <laughs> that you just ride to work on. People be crazy. Just get a Brompton and be done with it. Yeah. So after, uh, I guess you're right. I don't know. Are you uh, a mid-ride coffee person or a post-ride coffee person? And if so, where are you getting your coffee? Um, do I get told off for both? You no. can you can say whatever you like. I'm a fan of a double park. I mean, I, I'm these days, I'm not that quick. I'd rather stop for a coffee midway, have a chat, come back, do the same again. Um, I don't see anything wrong with that, and I don't want to be judged for it. <laughs> I respect that. Is there any shops in particular, cafes that you like going to? Uh, yeah, so there's a couple that come to mind. Um, I mean, Look, Mum, No Hands was a classic. Oh. Uh, R.O.P. Um, spent oh. a lot of time there over the years. Um, I'd say more recently, uh, Via, mm. you know, is a really good spot. Shout out Via. Um, just got a good vibe in there. Good group. Yeah. Um, 
and I, I just find that it's sort of you can always sort of roll in and find someone you know in there, yeah. which is quite good. Um, which I respect. And then just less slightly more left field is, um, and you mentioned it on one of your other pods, um, but Jiro, hundred um, percent in in Isha, you know, it's a, it's a cracking place. Um, whenever I'm out that way, I always pop in and see Jordan, and you know, shout out to Jordan because he's done a great job and you know. There's a really good coffee and it's got a really good vibe. I think by the time this episode comes out, hi Jordan, I'm looking forward to having you on the podcast for season two. <laughs> thumbs, thumbs up to get group chat with with Jordan. Yes. With oh, yeah, yeah. Talking of that, let's uh, plug that now. Pints and Pave, 31st of March. Come to the group ride. Um, and good segue into the most important segment of this Q and A. Uh, Miles, white bib shorts. Um, you know, we've talked, we've already talked about the people that have worn them. But what's your what's your view on the white bib? <sighs> it's a complex <laughs> subject because I, I'm a designer by trade, right? Like trained as a designer, mm. so. And I'm an admirer of photography. So I think from both of those perspectives, the white bib short is exemplary. Really, really cool. Um, but from a practicality point <laughs> of view in the UK, I think they're really fucking dumb. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you own white bib shorts here, like they're only white for, you know, a couple of days max. And I just feel like that's a, that's a poor use of anyone's time and money. Um, now, the contrary point to that is if you lived in Girona Oof. or Mallorca or, you know, somewhere moderately sunny more than it is here, then I can see the appeal and I think I'd probably be all in. Um, but as it stands, I think for us, for us, you know, UK dwellers, it's, it's a pretty poor decision. And and the side point to that is, you know, there's a lot of pale people going on in the UK and white ain't doing you no favours, I ain't going to lie. Get the fake tan on, that's yeah, what we're saying. So, so my, my family's Scottish, so essentially we're like translucent in the wind. And um, I think yeah. that if, if you, you know, if you're more tan, or there's you know more melanin in your your DNA structure. I think the, then you will potentially look a bit better in the white bibs than I will. Um, however, um, I will be wearing white bibs, maybe aero socks, and uh, my white U dog shoes on the ride. Um, there, they you know who knows? Maybe there's a link going out for white bib shorts when this podcast comes out. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe there's a bulk buy. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe, maybe. I'm, as long as you're selling them with our savers. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly thought for a moment there, Ken, you were going to say that you were going to wear white bib shorts to your wedding next year. <laughs> white wedding. <laughs> I thought that's where we were going. Uh, and in your excitement to ask the, uh, the white bib shorts, um, I was going to talk about the double park that Miles was talking about. Uh, over the winter months, I've been doing the, the coffee and then we've, got a bit comfy and just had a hot chocolate afterwards as well. Oh, I love it. Uh, yeah, which has got to be done. It's got to be done. Now, um, we've talked about some loves in cycling. Now, what do you dislike about cycling? Um, this can be anything. It can be products. It can be, I guess, mentalities. It can be roots. It can be weather. It can be... There's a, there's a long list. There's a laundry. Go on. Yeah. yeah. You can, We're you can just list if, if, if yeah, you've got a big you one. Yeah, on I mean, the, the primary on one for me is, is going to be quick. It's going to be quick fire. You know, it's bad weather. Mm. That's top of the list. It's snobby people. That's next. Nice. There's no space for snobbery in cycling. Um, it is people that have a problem with other people riding expensive bikes, almost the opposite of snobbery. If they've got the money and they want to ride it, let them ride it. Um, I think it's the public's general lack of awareness that cyclists are humans. That's generally uh, yeah. quite annoying. Um, I'd say it's the fact that white shoes never stay white. Oh, facts. 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 Hot takes. 
Um, and finally, I would say it's that cycling has a diversity problem. Hashtag poignant finish. <laughs> that is very poignant. Uh, going on to what? What do you like? What well, if you had to? You you we start again. You've got a. <laughs> I don't want to use. I don't want to use the word gun. <laughs> start again. Start again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was going to be like, where am I going with this? And it would have been a weird ramble. Uh, and so, cobbles or mountains, Miles? You, you, in terms of watching, doing? I mean, I'd take mountains all day, every day. I think they're beautiful. I think there's a the challenge and overcoming of them is unlike anything I've ever experienced in cycling. Um, I love coming down them. Yeah, all day, every day. I don't understand cobbles at all. Like I've had friends try and get me to do Flanders sporty through baseball team. I'm like, no, really not interested. Really not interested. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't need that. I don't need that impact on my body. I'll take the mountains all day, every day. Would you do cobbles on a mountain bike? If forced, because that would also mean I'd have to ride a mountain bike. Oh, hey, hard takes. Is that- that sounds a bit snobbery. You, uh, nothing you, to do with snobbery. Just like. I just, I'm just not built for that sort of riding. <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with that, mate. Miles, mate, thank you so much for being on our podcast. It's been really great getting to know you better. I hope to see you on the 31st of March for Pints and Pave in your uh, white bib shorts of choice. Where can people find you? How could people get involved um, when you close out the show? Uh, yeah, so thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. Um, hope you guys uh, keep growing this and um, giving the London community what they need. It's a bigger voice. Um, where can people find me? Um, mostly on Instagram. Uh, I'm Miles on Bikes. Um, and you can find Cycling Culture Club at Cycling Culture Club. Uh, .cc both on the web and on um, Instagram uh, on the web they sound about 45 <laughs> um, otherwise um, you can find me riding the roads of Tunbridge Wells um, or sitting in the Fusion Media offices in London Bridge um, so if you need a, if you want to have a coffee and a chat then hit me up uh, and we can do just that Miles Parker Clark thank you very much bye Cheers, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye.